There is nothing, just as that song says, nothing that compares to the promise that I have in you. What is the promise? It's the hope in the resurrection. I want us to look at part two of hope in the resurrection as we move. If you'll go ahead and take your Bibles and open to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. We'll be getting to in just a moment, but we have hope. And I know I've said this a lot, but as believers, that is one of the greatest things that we have through our salvation is hope in a risen and a resurrected Lord and Savior. This world can put forth in media anything and everything it wants, but the truth lies within God's Word. And the truth states that we have a hope in the resurrection, that we have a life after this life. Many of us enjoy parts of this life. There are some parts that we don't enjoy. But we will have a miraculous resurrection one day. And we will spend all of eternity with the risen Lord and Savior. That hope keeps me going. I don't know about you. But that hope that regardless of what we face this side of heaven, that we have a living Lord and Savior that is going with us. He is walking with us. He is by our side. And while we will experience difficulty, we will experience pain and loss, we have hope of the resurrected one being with us. I love how God gave us that assurance the moment that we accepted Christ, Holy Spirit came to dwell within us. Think about that just a moment this morning. Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, God, as an assurance that he would come back for us, put himself within us. That Holy Spirit is there to guide us, to lead us, to convict us, and to assure us. But as a promise that God is coming back for us. We have hope through the resurrection. If you would stand with me as we look at today's scripture out of 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. It says, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him, as believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Father, thank you for your scripture. Father, today, Lord, we need to hear from you. Father, would you allow me to step aside now, Lord? Would you feel me? Would you speak through me? Father, would you open our hearts and our ears to hear from Holy Spirit? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illumine the word to us. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious most holy name of your son Jesus. Amen and amen. The hope is in the resurrection. You know, Jesus Christ could have come and he could have died, paid the price, and stayed in the grave. And I don't think our hope would be the same. 
because God so chose to resurrect him from the grave, we have a hope in a living God, a living Savior, one that is still active and alive with us today. And as far as I am concerned, I need a living Savior. I need one that is active in my life, one that is not in the grave, one that can lead me, one that can protect me, one that can guide me, and one that will walk beside me in these difficult days that we're experiencing. And we have that. But what we need to understand from these few verses, first of all, is something that we don't always like to think, but I believe that we need to understand what Scripture says, and that is that we will all be judged. We see here in 1 Peter, there at verse 17, it says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges... According to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. We don't like the idea of being judged. I don't, even on earth, none of us like the idea of going before a judge. We don't like the idea that our friends look at us and they judge us. It's just not in our nature. But what we need to understand as we look through these scriptures is there are two forms of judgment. There is the judgment of heaven or hell. And as we're going to see in a moment, we have the hope through the resurrection of a believer that our judgment will not be heaven or hell. That is already determined. But it will be based upon what we have done. Let me just read to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 9 it says, Therefore we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We have hope through the resurrection, and we understand that we're all going to be judged, but our hope is that through the resurrection and our acceptance of Jesus Christ, that our judgment will be to what we have done. God will look at us and he will give us according to our deeds. We need to understand that. God did not save us to be bench warmers. He didn't save us to sit on the sideline. It cost him something for your salvation. It cost him the life of his son. And because of that, we need to look at what we're doing. And we need to understand that he has things for us that he wants us to do. And we can look at it in our own terms. If we look at it through our own doings, what I've done, what I deserve, and how I can keep myself out of trouble, I believe we would look at unrest. Because we understand that we and ourselves cannot earn our salvation. That's what he's talking about there at verse 17 when he said through the silver or gold that you can't do that. First uh, Titus 1.16 says that they profess to know God but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. There are people in this life who profess to know Christ but you can very quickly look at their life and tell otherwise. It is not within our own doing. We can try and we can move forward, but we are held to our sin nature. In Titus 2, it says this, And all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine 
dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about you. Who is your opponent? Do you know? Satan himself. There will come a day that we will stand before that judgment seat and Satan's going to come up there and he's going to try to have all these accusations against you. And most likely, if we look at it honestly, most of his accusations will probably be truthful, whether we want to accept that or not. But our hope through the resurrection is that Jesus will stand up between you and the Father and he'll say, he's righteous. He paid the price. When his blood shed, we became pure and holy before the Father. We have righteousness that is from him. And that's what we began to see next. That when we understand, if we look at it from our own eyes and our deeds, it's unrest. But when we look at it through the eyes of Jesus, there is peace. Hope in the resurrection. Peace because of what Jesus did. Probably a very familiar verse is to you. Romans chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1. Listen to these verses. As this describes our faith. And what has happened. Therefore. Having been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance brings proven character. And proven character brings hope. There it is again, hope. What we're all looking for these days. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The hope comes through his resurrection. There is a judgment that all must face. And I pray that for you, as we go to the judgment seat of Christ, it will be not based upon heaven or hell, because you've already made that decision, and you have the hope through the resurrection, but that that judgment is what you have done with what God has given you. And we have that responsibility, and I hope that as we are there, that you are rewarded many rewards to take and to lay at the feet of Christ. There is the sentencing. Anytime you have a judgment, there is a sentencing. Romans 8 puts it this way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did 
sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit there is a requirement of the law and that is death and bloodshed to cover for sin began in Genesis we see that all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament and because God knew that you nor I would be able to provide a perfect sacrifice, an ultimate once and for all sacrifice, and that we would be his enemy, he sent his son to die on that cross and to become a resurrected Lord. And that's where we get our hope. As that said at the beginning there in verse 1 of Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? There's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't excite you and set your fire, then I don't know what can. Because condemnation is due everyone that lives on the face of this earth. Because we are all sinners. But in Christ Jesus, we have hope through the resurrection that there is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. If you're not, I fear for you. If you know someone in this world that is not in Christ Jesus, I pray that you are daily on your face before God, pleading with Him that Holy Spirit will continue to convict Him and one day they will turn their life over because if they do not, there is condemnation. And we know that condemnation is hell. I'm not up here to preach a hellfire and brimstone sermon this morning. But hell is full of what we would call fire and brimstone. It is non-ending torment. There is pain, there is torture, and there is fire for all of eternity. Imagine putting your hand in the fireplace and never, ever being able to remove it. But beyond that... As humans, if we put our hand in the fireplace, eventually it will singe our nerves and we won't feel it. I don't believe it will be like that in hell. It will be as if you just put your hand in that fireplace for all of eternity, but it will be your entire body. That's why we can say amen and have hope from Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Peter, in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says this, And he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Christ bore our sins. What does that really mean? Yes, we understand that when Christ died on the cross, his blood was shed. He covered over our sins. But what does it mean that he bore our sins on the cross? Jesus Christ has always been, and he has always been the Son. Him and the Father have always been directly connected for all of eternity. It's all he has ever known. But for a second, when he hung on that cross to pay your price and my price that he did not owe, he was separated from the Father. When sin fell upon him because he bore our sin on that cross, God cannot be around sin. That's why Jesus said on the cross, Oh, my Father, why have you forsaken me? For a moment in time, 
he experienced separation. How many of you like separation from something you love? None of us. But imagine if you've never known it. And now you experience that he bore our sin on the cross that we might die to our sin and live in his righteousness. The hope of the resurrection. Deuteronomy says, For the Lord your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. What did we see there at 1 Peter 17? That if you address as Father the one who impartially judges. God is a holy judge and a perfect judge. And and let me tell you, if you know a friend, because I know none of you would believe this, but if you know a friend that believes that they can earn their way, that they can bribe God, that they can do just enough good to to squeak on by, it's our responsibility to let them know it's not going to happen. I don't know how any of us think we could bribe God. You know, it's a good idea, maybe, a good thought, but when you look at it in itself, I have to look and understand things. If God has always been, God has created everything, and everything belongs to God, and anything we have, we're just stewards of his gift, then what in the world do I have that God needs? Nothing. But he longs for our soul. And that's the reason he sent his son. He does not judge impartiality. He shows no favor. If you're a a Jew, you're going to get by. Or if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an African American or whatever you might be, that doesn't matter. Because the amazing thing about my God, when he looks out and he looks at his creation, everyone's the same. I don't believe God sees the color and tries to make a determination. He doesn't look at religion. He looks at a relationship. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear. How many of you would love to live a life with no fear? Let me show a hands. Amen? You know, there's no fear in love. But shall we say there's no fear in God's love. A perfect love. 1 John 4.18 is saying there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We look at many relationships and there's fear and we, we see divorce. And it's because, well, you know, I expected when I married you, you were going to do this and you didn't. Or those relationships where something happens and and all of a sudden now there's fear. Maybe they don't love me anymore. Perfect love, God's love, that he chose before we were even born, puts aside that because God is not punishing those who are in his love through the birth and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now yes, we are all judged. But secondly, we are also, we are all sinners. Excuse me. We are all slaves. And we are slaves because of our sin. Let me read to you back here out of 1 Peter 1 beginning in verse 18. Know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. 
but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Slaves. It talks about being redeemed here. What I want us to do for just a moment is to travel back in time because we've got to understand some of these words the way that they were written and what it would have meant. Redeemed. A slave in a biblical time was owned by someone. I think we would all agree with that. But in biblical times, a slave could be freed if he was able to work up and save up enough money that he could buy his own freedom. That was possibility number one. And it happened some. Also, a slave could be freed if someone else was to step up and pay the price demanded for that slave. An owner would have a price. Maybe some of them were slaves because they were indebted in that situation. Some might have been bought. And then there would be a price and someone else could step up and purchase them and then set them free. That would be redeeming of a slave. We still have slaves today. And no, I'm not talking about slaves as in the sense of the Civil War. I'm not talking about slaves who came over on a boat. I'm not talking about slaves who have been beaten and mistreated. I'm talking about you and I and everyone on the face of this earth. We are slaves to sin. Sin can come into our life. It can become a master. It can overtake. And we can lose ourselves quickly into the slavery of sin. Titus 3.3 3 says, For we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That happens still today. And there are people who are so enslaved by their lust of whatever it may be that it overtakes them, that it controls them. That's what slavery is. It's that master and that control. And for many who are living, even as it talks about in verse 18, that they lived in their futile way, many who are living that life think that they've got the best life there is. Their search for ambition, working up a corporate chain. Their search of ambition for money or status in life. And once they get it, oh my gosh, how happy they think they're going to be. But when you get there... I promise you, if you don't have Christ in your life, it's not going to fulfill. You're still going to be longing for something. Something's still going to be trying to control you. But there is rest that we can find for slaves. There at 1 Peter, let's look in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. 
For the time already past is sufficient for you have to carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this there are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." We're all going to face that judgment. We're all slaves to sin. But remember I said there was two ways out of slavery. One is to raise enough funds and purchase your own freedom. It's not going to happen when it comes to the slavery of sin. Sin is such a great master. It has such a high demand that it cannot happen. What did Christ do? Remember, we're talking about the hope of the resurrection. Christ shed his blood. The law had a demand, a price that must be paid, and that was the shedding of blood. And Christ did that, and we see that even in the scripture that we're reading today. 1 Peter 1.19, But with precious blood, as of an unblemished or spotless lamb, the perfect lamb, no sin, no spots hung on that cross and shed his blood. What is it to redeem? I'll, I'll look that up. To redeem is to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Or maybe I like this one. To be or become redeemed by the payment demanded for one's return. Christ redeemed you. Satan had a halt on you as a master through sin. And his demand is to never let go. But God says through the shedding of blood. And he sent that. The law said the blood must be shed to pay for the sin, the demand. And Jesus paid that to come and to redeem you. We cannot buy our freedom. But we can walk today in hope and assurance of the resurrection. And one thing that we must understand as we look at this, that who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This act that Jesus performed on the cross showed how great a love the Father has for you. Do you know that Jesus dying on the cross was not an accident? He didn't do something and deserve to be there. He didn't stumble upon that cross that day. God didn't just wake up one day and think, oh, you know what, let's just put this in there. God had it determined from the beginning. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 says, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. God knew from the beginning the exact moment and time that Christ would have to die. 
God knew that sin had come in and taken over and that godless men would put his son to death. And he predetermined the way that he was going to redeem you from that. He knew that when you were born, you were going to be a slave in sin. And that he predetermined with his foreknowledge to redeem you. He was going to pay that demand. He was going to pay that price. He was going to do whatever it took to give you hope through the resurrection of Christ, death, predetermined plan, and foreknowledge of God. And then it says, For you have been born not of seed, which is imperishable, which is perishable, but imperishable. Verse 23. God raised him from the dead. God glorified Christ. He's now sitting the right hand of the Father. And that you, in your faith and your hope, through the resurrection, we don't have to fear the judgment. There is judgment coming, and I do fear for those who are not born in Christ. Because what we're seeing today, I hope they have time to repent. Because it's not pretty on the other side. We're not going to paint that picture again. But God's love. What we see around our nation and our world today is not a picture of love. It's a picture of unrest. I believe maybe as we come closer to the end of time and there's uncertainty in this world that those who have formerly been living and still are living as it talked about in drunkenness and carousing and idolatry and all of those things I believe their hope is diminishing and we're seeing them act out of this unrest through whatever means it may be today but as believers we have hope and with hope we have rest and it's all based through the resurrection we have that person to walk with praise God amen and we are no longer as we said there in Romans 1 now no condemnation for those who are in Christ why talk about that today the end time is coming and we must understand what happens that there is a judgment and that we're all going to go to judgment. But we have hope as believers that regardless what happens here on this earth, our hope resides in the resurrection. The one who wakes you up in the morning, the one who walks with you as a resurrected living God. If I did not know who held tomorrow, I would have no hope in this world today. I think I forget who it was just down front before services were talking and we were talking and one of them said that they knew someone said they don't even watch the news anymore. They don't read the newspapers. Now, I'm not saying that all news is bad. But if we take and we put our hope into the news and we constantly fill our minds with everything that's being said, it can lead us to unrest. Do you know why? Because we're looking at it from the human eye. But when we look at it through the resurrection and our faith and belief in God, we can have hope. 
Not saying that we have a hope that we're not going to go through difficulty. Because we will. This side of heaven, we will have difficulty. But we have hope and assurance of who's walking through with us. And that's a risen, resurrected Lord. May you bow your heads.